0: you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. We're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 4, dealing with verses 1 through 5. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Continue our study tonight in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter four. We'll start with verse one again tonight. Revelation four and verse one. John said, After this I looked, and behold a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. And I will show you the things which must be hereafter. And tonight, we're going to take a look at some of the things in the hereafter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, I pray that you will help me to rightly divide the word. Lord, anoint your people to hear and receive as you Anoint me to expound upon it tonight, Lord, I pray that the least among us, whomever that may be, Lord, may be able to hear and receive of your word and understand it better. Lord, I pray that we'll all be edified and drawn closer to you. That's my prayer tonight, and I pray, Lord, that you will draw us closer to you, deeper in your word. May we be led more by your spirit. We'll ask it all in the precious holy name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Um, this verse begins with the phrase after this. And that pertains to the first vision which John had beginning back in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. Uh, the next little phrase there in this verse is, I looked and behold. Uh, that pertains to the beginning of the second vision that John is about to have. The book of Revelation is not one long, continuous vision. The Lord gave it to John in bits and pieces. Uh, So here tonight, we're going to begin the second vision that John had as it pertains to this great revelation. Uh, John said, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. There's two things I want to mention here. If it wasn't for Jesus and what he did at Calvary, there would be no open door of salvation. But due to the fact that he was raised the third day, and this past Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, there ain't nobody there. It's just an empty tomb. And let me say this, Jesus didn't come out of that tomb the same way he went in. He went in with his head swole three times its normal size. He went in covered with blood. But he came out of that tomb victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And when you go into Christianity, when you get saved, you don't come out the same way you went in. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that door is opened in heaven. It was one door, a door, not many doors, but one door. There's only one way. And that's through and by Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary. And like I said, if it wasn't for what he did, there'd be no open door. None of us would be able to make heaven our home. The second thing I want to mention here about this open door in heaven is that this open door gives John the ability to see what is going on in heaven and as well as the spirit world. And the rest of the book of Revelation is given in this fashion. We see things taking place in the spirit world and then we see things taking place here on earth. It all happens in in heaven first in the spirit realm, and then we see the results here on earth. John said also in this same verse, the first voice which he heard was as it were of a trumpet, uh, a trumpet talking with with him. Um, it is the same voice that he heard in the first vision. If you'll look back in Revelation chapter one verse ten. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So the same one that spoke to him in the first vision is the same one speaking to him here in the second vision. And we looked at all this here a few weeks ago. The voice said, Come up hither that pertains to the rapture of the church. And we've looked at that for two weeks. I won't go back over all of that, but just know that right here is where we believe the rapture of the church takes place. The Bible also says in this verse, I will show you things. Stop right there. God said, I will show you things. The Lord has spent a lot of time and ink writing His Word. The things that are written in this book, God wants you to know. It is His will for you to know. Yes, there are some secret things of God. There are some things that we don't understand. But whatever God has given to us in His Word, it is His will for us to know. But that requires dedication, consecration, study, whatever the case. But the Lord wants to show you some things. And maybe tonight you say, well, Brother James, I just don't have that much desire to read. I just get... A lot out of Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or whatever the case, or you've got certain ministers you listen to over radio, television, and you know, ask the Lord to give you a desire to read His Word. Ask Him. The Lord said in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. It is God's will for you to have a desire to want to learn more about his word and the things of God. So you ask the Lord to give you a desire to know. He will give you that desire. And another thing too is Matthew 7 and 7 Jesus said, Ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open unto you. Whenever you read something in God's Word and you don't understand it, knock and it shall be open unto you, seek and you shall find. Be persistent. Go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to open it up to you because, like I said, The Lord said here in this verse, I will show you things. And it is his will and his desire to show you things in his word. He said, I will show you things which must be. Notice the terminology. These are things which must be. Some time ago over the history channel. They were doing some little program on the book of Revelation. The narrator made the statement that John wrote the book of Revelation out of anger. He was angry with the Roman government and churches in the area that were participating in certain things. And he wrote this book out of anger. Hoping that God would bring judgment upon the churches, and the government of his day. The narrator also went on to say that some of the things that are written in the book of Revelation, we could possibly apply it to today, but if we'll all pitch in and do our part, we can change some of the things that, are written in this book. Like global warming. In Revelation it talks about the sun getting so hot that it will literally burn men during the tribulation period. They said that that had to do with global warming. And if we will take the proper steps and make the right decisions now that we can stop global warming The suggestion was we all need to go green. And the idea is if we make certain decisions, we can avoid some of these things. No, you can't. These things are a must be. God has already decreed that they happen. And they're going to happen. There's not a thing you can do to stop it. All we can do is read these scriptures and be ready. That's it. That's all we can do. These things are a must be. God said, I will show you things which must be. But they are things which must be hereafter. Hereafter, what? Well, to pass. Two or three chapters we've looked at, Revelation 2 and 3, has had to deal with the churches. These are things which will happen after the churches, after the church age, after the rapture of the church. Everything that we read from this verse forward to the end of the book of Revelation are all things that will take place in the future. These are things that have not happened yet. Now, John said in verse 2, Revelation 4 and verse 2. He said, immediately I was in the Spirit. Right after the Lord told him, I got some things I want to show you. The Bible says he was in the Spirit. There should be times when you read his word and things jump up at you and it gets your attention and it should cause you to be in the spirit. It should cause you to worship the Lord. There should be times when you're sitting in church and the preacher says something and it and it strikes a note in your spirit. And it should cause you to worship the Lord. When the Lord told John i got something I want to show you in the hereafter. (laughs) John said immediately I was in the Spirit. So now you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say in the Spirit. There should be times when you read and study God's Word that the Lord deals with you and He shows you some things. Now, The Lord showed John some things in a vision. This vision would later become a part of the canon of Scripture. This vision was given under the covenant of the New Covenant, the New Testament, the age in which we're now living in. Now, my question is this. I want you to think about it. The Lord gave John this vision. Does the Lord give visions today? Now think about it just a minute. Does the Lord give visions today? You almighty quiet. I believe the Lord does give dreams and visions today. God can do anything. But now, let me add a little something to that. When God gave this vision to John, the vision lined up with other visions and writings In the word of God. So if the Lord gives you a vision. Or maybe someone gives you a testimony of a dream. Or a vision that they've had. If it does not line up with this book. Then you need to ignore the vision. It needs to line up with this book. Yes the Lord does give dreams and visions. But we need to make sure that dream and that vision lines up with the Word of God. John said, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one was sitting on the throne. Every time I read that phrase, something just goes all over me. I don't care what you're going through, I don't care how bad it looks. Just remember one thing. There's a throne. Set in heaven. And there's one sitting upon that throne. Man may rule. But God overrules. God has the final say. God has the final say. No matter what comes your way. Just remember. There's a throne set in heaven and there's one sitting on the throne. And he's not going to let anything happen to you. what it don't cross his desk first and he knows how much you can bear. All right, verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now what in the world is John talking about? John with the help of the Holy Spirit is trying to explain something folks. That's literally out of this world. Even with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guiding each word. In order for you and I to understand what John saw. The Holy Spirit has to use earthly things. To explain heavenly things. And you know what the problem with that is. The things of this world is woefully insufficient. Bottom line. Heaven is a beautiful place. And. The only way. That it's all going to come together. And you understand what John was talking about. Is when you stand there that day. And you see it for yourself. But until then. You're going to have to use your imagination. And. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. We read these things. And we use our imaginations, we try to figure it out, but even with that, we're limited. We're looking through a glass darkly, we only know in part. But there's coming a day when you're going to see this face to face. Now let me give you my interpretation of this verse. We'll try to paint you a picture tonight. Maybe you'll get a better understanding of what John saw. We see a throne that is set against an emerald green sky. Or a backdrop with a rainbow encircled about the top of it. We see one sitting upon the throne. That, of course, is God the Father. And the only description that John gives about him is that he is like a jasper and a sardine stone. So I had to do a little research on the jasper and the sardine stone. Both of these stones are transparent. Both of these stones, when you shine a light, the light will shine through the stone. Whatever color the stone is, that is the color of light that will Come through. Now, the jasper stone is a dark, opaque green color. The sardine stone is a fiery red color. So, God the Father sitting on the throne, the only description that John gives of God the Father is an array of light. In red, fiery red, and dark opaque green color. Christmas colors. And that's all I can say about that. There are others that say this color, this stone is for that, and that stone is for this, and this color represents that, and the rainbow represents the grace of God, and And I'm not going to get into all of that. I just want you to understand that John saw a throne that was set in heaven. And we have this emerald green sky with the rainbow about it. And he saw one sitting upon the throne with this red and green light emanating from him. All right, now, verse 4. Around about the throne were four and twenty seats. This is what I found interesting here. The Greek word for throne is thronos. Okay? It's interpreted throne. Around about the thronos, throne, were four and twenty seats. The same word that was interpreted seats is thronos. The same word that is interpreted thrones is the same word that was interpreted seats. So in essence, you could say around about the throne were four in twenty thrones. So in my mind, I envision maybe on ground level where the throne of God is at, there are 24 other thrones sitting, maybe in a semicircle at his throne. And then upon the seats or upon the thrones, I saw four and 20 elders sitting. Now, the word elder... Is used of ministers of the gospel. Who these elders are. We don't know. All kinds of speculation. Some say that maybe it's one representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The Old Testament. Others have suggested maybe it was the 12 apostles. That gives you 24. Representing the New Testament. But we really don't know who these 24 elders are. They could be prophets from the Old Testament. They could be anybody from the time of Abel. Right up to the rapture of the church. Anybody within that time period could be sitting upon one of those thrones. And who they are we don't know. The Bible does not say. But we do know this. They are clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, the white raiment represents the righteousness of Christ, which is given only to believers. And you can read that in Revelation 19 and verse 8. The Bible says unto her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints Whoever these 24 elders are they represent all believers in Christ In other words the church is no longer on earth the church is in heaven because it is raptured up in revelation 4 and verse 1 there is no mention of the church on earth in any of these chapters from revelation 4 and verse 1 forward there is no more mention of the church some have said that in the book of revelation it mentions the elect of god and they say that that pertains to the church but that Particular time, the Lord's referring to his people, Israel. So that really doesn't hold water, if you will. All right, let's take a look at verse 5 and we'll close it up. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Now, get this picture in your mind. You're standing before the throne of God in all of its display of brilliant colors. And now you're going to add lightning, thundering, and voices. It presents a picture of such beauty and majesty. It's beyond our comprehension. Heaven is a beautiful place. And folks, it's going to be awesome (laughs) because our God is an awesome God. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, let me deal with that for just a few minutes. This is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The number seven does not mean that there are seven Holy Spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit. The number seven in the Bible is used to denote completion, perfection, and universality. It's more of a descriptive thing than it is a numeric type of thing. The other thing we see here is fire. Fire is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, if you want to flip over there, flip over there. Fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit because it illuminates. Shines light on the subject, if you will. And in John 14:26 the Bible says the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever i have said unto you the holy spirit will enlighten you as you read and study his word and whatever the case It is the Holy Spirit's job to teach us, to enlighten, shine a little light on the subject, if you will. Fire also burns. And if you will, flip over to Matthew chapter 3. Show you something there about the Holy Spirit as well. Matthew chapter 3. Move down to verse 11. John the Baptist is doing the speaking here. Matthew 3 verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Verse 12. Whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor. And gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff. With unquenchable fire. The Holy Spirit. Is the power that comes into your heart and life. The moment that you get saved. It is the fire of the Holy Spirit. That will burn out the sin in your life. But now wait a minute. It is an ongoing, continual, everyday basis. That's why it's important that you and I as believers get refilled with his spirit. Yes, you got saved whenever it was. But it's important that we go before the Lord and we ask Him to refill us with His Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will burn out the sin in your life. He'll point out things in your life that's not right. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is trying to conform us more and more into the image and likeness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what a Christian is, being Christ-like.